0: storytelling saves the world storytelling saves the world jessica and jordan
1: Welcome to the fourth season of Storytelling Saves the World, a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack. Once again for
0: this season, I'm here with my fabulous storytelling partner in crime, Georgia Terlahi. Greetings and salutations. We have had an exciting few months since we last recorded. We had a fantastic time at ITSTI over the summer in New Orleans. And we were able to present our session called Storytelling for All, Equity and SEL Through Movie Making. And we also facilitated a creation lab using the SOTAS frame, which the participants, um, they were all really lovely. Everyone really seemed to enjoy the student samples we were able to share. And we got to like help facilitate a playground, which was super fun.
1: Oh my gosh, it was so fun. Like we had never really done that live and in person before. And it made all the difference to be able to just talk to people face to face about, you know, how they're using movie making or kind of like draw them in and almost like, I don't know, evangelize
0: movie making? Can <laughs> you do that? <laughs> I, I think that's gonna have to be another t-shirt as we talk about t-shirts is is, is uh, digital storytelling evangelism. Yes, ask me about ask me about digital storytelling. Um, I also like, I was so blown away with how massive I'd never been to a live it's I had no idea the scale of people and events. And it was a little intimidating in a good way. I felt like I just, I needed to go to like a meditation room to take it all in, in between things. Um, I don't know. Did you feel that way at all? I did. I
1: felt like they should have a sound bathroom where you could just go in and yes. like sit on a comfy couch or lay down and just be like, Process. oh my gosh, I'm going to take a second. Exactly.
0: I need um, to marinate on all this information and then I can go back out there and get more.
1: I had been to one other ISTE before in person, but it I don't remember it being that big.
0: Oh, like, interesting. There were like 11,000 people at this one. So <laughs> I wonder if that's like post-pandemic we're having an in-person conference. We're all going, you know, because yeah, that was a lot of people in one spot. And that was an enormous convention center. I mean, we really needed like golf carts to get from one end to the other. I wish we could have Ubered like in the convention center because at the end of the day, I mean, our step counts were like ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, they were stupidly high. I was like, can I rent a burro? Like yes, I would do that. Anything. a camel. <laughs> I don't know. Like Elected a
0: hoverboard, a Segway. I have just, no preference. <laughs> just something so I don't have to walk from one end to the other. Please. Please. <laughs> I think too, it was
1: super cool to like see people that we'd only really interacted with online or people that maybe we've been following forever because I definitely had a fangirl moment or two,
0: which was super awkward on the inside, hopefully not so awkward on it, the
1: outside.
0: It wasn't awkward on the outside. So it, Jessica and I got to be a part of It'sy Community Leaders and got to be at some luncheons and award ceremonies with some of the people that um, we'd been following online and got to like, talk to them like real people, which was kind of fun. Cause you know, before that they were just sort of a face on your phone screen. So that was cool.
1: Well, and I think the more you kind of like follow people on social media over the years, when you finally meet them, you're kind of like, Oh, they're, they're
0: real. They're a person just like me. <laughs> yes. It's <good and> normal. <laughs> exactly. That So that was, that was super fun too. And then that effect, it was in new Orleans. I mean, you're exhausted from the conference, but then you want to play in new Orleans. So, um, it was a lot of things happening all at once, but super fun. And I would do it again in a heartbeat.
1: And we are totally hoping to do it again because we just finished our submissions for ISTE 23 in Philadelphia. So pretty
0: exciting. Yes. It'll be very exciting. And Philly's super fun. So um lots of good eats in Philly, too. There are lots of good eats in New Orleans, but Philly's got a lot of good eats too. So like cheesesteaks, right? Like cheese steak, up. hot pretzels. Yeah. Yeah. Very good stuff. I love
1: that. And you know, lest we like grow moss in the fall, we just also finished presenting at ISTE Creative Constructor Lab, which was virtual. And we finished uh, the California Science Educators Association. We did a presentation for them. And next week we have more stuff, right?
0: Right. We're going to be at the um, California Mathematics Council um, CMC South Conference, which is in Palm Springs. And we are presenting video video making, movie making with math, which is exciting. But I think Jessica, all of those things are a good reason why we're doing episode one of our podcast for season four on November 1st, because we've been a little busy. I mean, if you're a listener and you're like, how did these girls
1: break up seasons? Why does this season only have three episodes? Why hasn't this season started? I think at first we were just like thinking of school years as seasons. And so if that is our pattern, then I guess welcome to season four, three weeks before Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) Well, and also I'm sure like teachers all know when school starts, we start early August, Um, There is definitely, you know, four to six weeks of just glazed look in our eyes of like, what is happening? Why is it so hot? And (laughs) what are we doing? And then with all of the conferences we were getting ready for, and then that, yeah, wake up and boom, we're on the track to Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, luckily, because we run the podcast, we can make our own decisions. So yeah, this is season four, episode one, November 1st. Roll with it. (laughs)
1: I feel like this is a really good girl boss moment, but. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. I like it.
1: Well, listeners, in case you're brand new to the show, Georgia and I bring a range of experiences. I have been teaching middle school for the last 18 years, and my book, Movie Making in the Classroom, is published by ISTE Books. I am also a California Teacher of the Year and an ISTE community leader.
0: And I have 34 years of classroom experience at the elementary level. And yes, I started teaching when smelling fresh dittos was a thing. I am currently a TK to fifth instructional coach, and I'm also an itsD community leader. Jessica and I have both been using digital storytelling in our classrooms for what, about 25 years combined? yeah it's
1: definitely been a minute for sure i mean nothing makes me quite feel as 40 as like you know (laughs) listening to our intros and how long we've been doing
0: this that that is the truth the math gets scary it's like i want to say i started teaching when i was like you know three (laughs) basically because i cannot possibly be this old and then I just start thinking about covered wagons and then
1: it's like, Oh, oh my gosh. Like I just, yeah. Right. I'm just going to get on one and keep moving
0: westward. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah. until you hit the ocean. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, what I love about storytelling is that it is continuously shown to be a valid and engaging strategy that has a place in any classroom, content area, grade level. We've been doing some really awesome work with UDL in our district, and I'm just really excited by the connections that are there when you start looking at storytelling through the lens of UDL. Um, Georgia, you know a lot about this particular arena because you are a UDL coordinator.
0: I am. I get a nice hat and a badge. Um, So, but when you look at the three principles of UDL, because there's so much going on, but it's engagement, it's action expression, and it's representation. And those three bundles, movie making, digital storytelling, fits for all those things. You think about engagement. Kids are super engaged when they're doing this kind of thing because they're online on TikToks and movies and all that kind of stuff. So this is their medium. This is their voice. And for action expression, expressing yourself, finding your voice through movie making hits all those bubbles and representation, representing their work, their synthesis of their work hits that as well. So I find it, it hits all, it checks off all those boxes, which makes me very excited.
1: Well, and I love that there's so many tools if you're using a, an online editor, no matter which editor you're using, I think that they've all reached sort of a point where they're very robust in what they have to offer kids. And kids can choose if they're, you know, speaking or movie out loud or being physically on camera or using text boxes to kind of, you know, as an entry point of communication. I think that that's really intriguing that it's so universally accessible now in terms of the tools out there for teachers and districts anywhere.
0: Well, today we have a very special guest, a teacher who is relatively new to digital storytelling. I love that. Uh, More often than not, we tend to talk with
1: veteran storytelling teachers. So I kind of think it's super fantastic that we're switching
0: things up. Absolutely. So today's guest is Caitlin Peterson. An elementary teacher at one of the schools that I serve as an instructional coach. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to use movie making in the classroom?
2: Hi. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I a few years ago I did a digicom for through Palm Springs Unified, and I fell in love with it to begin with, and then it just kind of got pushed to the wayside. Was focusing more on science and stuff like that. Um, but I still kind of had it in the back of my head. And so over this past summer, I saw uh, Jessica's book and realized that I had to have it. So I ordered it immediately and started reading it. And that became my summer read and, um, went crazy writing through it. So then when we got back into school, I, wanted to learn more and do more in my class with my fourth graders. And so then I went to you, Georgia to find some really good ideas <laughs> because as you know, you're obviously my TOSA. Um, and so that was really awesome to kind of get started back doing it and actually implementing it with my students, which I appreciated and loved. <laughs>
1: I love that once again, with another guest, we're talking about the seed that Digicom planted. Mm -hmm. Um, For past listeners who are maybe familiar, you'll recall that Digicom Learning is the nonprofit focused on digital storytelling and uh, kind of promoting and supporting that in Southern California classrooms. And that's the connection between how Georgia and I met and how we got to work with such wonderful people like yourself. So I'm so excited that it did not, you know, fade away, you, with the closing of Digicom's doors, you're, you're really clinging to this and still bringing it into your classroom. That's awesome. Well,
2: thank you. Yeah, I, it's so much fun just to see it and, and like do it as a teacher, but as a, like as an adult doing it, but then actually implementing it with students. I think that's just the greatest part is to see them have those moments.
1: Well, how did your students receive the opportunity to create? What was that like when you kind of rolled everything out to them?
2: So initially the kids like lost their minds. They were super excited. They were like, what, we're going to make videos. And I had dabbled with it a little bit last year. And that was when I was in third grade. And so I did have several of my students moved up with me to fourth. And so, and I told Georgia this, like, some of those kids are going to be familiar a little bit with we video and how it works, but you also like, I didn't have the structure. (laughs) I didn't have any idea. It was more of like a free for all. And, um, so when I told them that, you know, Georgia was going to come in the room and help us and we're going to work on it together. It, they, they were just so excited. And you could see it was like, I get to have my voice be heard, you know? and, and, To me, that was like the coolest part to see that, you know, to see them have that moment.
0: And that's what I think Jessica and I always find really impactful about movie making in the classroom is amplifying student voices. Because like I know you have a really large class this year. That's really hard to hear 30 to 34 students every day. But Mm -hmm. here they have a chance to express themselves where the whole class gets to be a part of it, which is exciting.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I totally
1: love that your kids are being empowered with their voice and they're totally getting into the whole creative process. I think that's fantastic. Um, where do you as the professional see movie making playing a role in your curriculum like moving forward?
2: <clears throat> so obviously it ties in really well with language arts. Um, just with the couple of things that we've done so far, it just fits molds in really nicely. But, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was so, I don't know, inspired or, or just excited because looking through the examples in your book, Jessica, I realized like, wow, I could really take this even farther than what I thought I could, you know? So I was thinking for sure, I want to somehow integrate it into science. Um, I was kind of thinking about using, because we're doing forces right now. So I was kind of thinking like, okay, pick a force and maybe do like the I am poem or something along those lines, you know, to just kind of again push the idea of it doesn't, it's not going to be a, this has happened in the beginning, this happened in the middle, this happened at the end, like make it more meaningful. So I definitely want to take it to science next, continue to use it in language arts and then. I don't know about math yet. I'm still kind of dabbling with that and trying to figure out what I would do. Cause I love all the suggestions that you have in your book and, and, you know, Georgia, you and I have talked about some other ideas, but I'm just, I'm really kind of struggling with that to be honest, like where I would take it with math.
0: But I think it's great. Like you're thinking through science because, you know, again, like you're really kind of like, dipping your toe getting farther in the pool this year so you got to give yourself Mm -hmm. grace you may not do all the things this year and then next you know you get strong with with the things that you're doing and then next year you know you can add on to that so there's nothing wrong with that you know
2: (laughs) I need (laughs) to reel it back a little bit (laughs)
0: Well, and I know uh, you and I were talking earlier how both of us are very much into excited for all the things. And so we, you know, take on sometimes more than we should. (laughs) And I think sometimes, right, we have to reel ourselves back and wait, wait, I'd like to get them strong with these few things and myself, Mm -hmm. and then we could move forward to something else or, you know, doing their own idea, like genius hour or something. What do you you make your movie about? Oh. See, now you're already putting more ideas in Sorry, my okay, now we need to, we need to, we need to stop. Um, what would you uh, say to a colleague to get them on board the movie-making train? What do you think um, would help more people be interested? I think
2: a lot of the times, especially as educators, I feel that we, we want everything to go as planned. You know, we spend hours and hours and hours planning and getting stuff ready and then you implement it or you're, you're starting to, and then if it bombs, you're, you feel like it's a reflection on you, that it's your fault that it didn't go that well. And so I think that's part of the learning experience for the teacher too, to say like, Hey, It's going to be messy. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be ridiculous. And, but it won't matter because you're going to learn from it. The kids are going to learn from it. Everybody's going to have a great time. And if it doesn't come out the way you wanted it, it's okay. It's kind of like what you said earlier, where it's, you know, if you don't get to it this year, it's okay. You can perfect it through the year and then try something new next year. So I think the like freedom, of it, I think I would really push that when talking to another teacher because I it just, I know we have to have things a certain way, but is you got to be just kind of relaxed on it, <laughs> which can be
0: hard. <laughs> right. No, but I think you hit the nail on the head too, because that's something um, that I have observed too is that you have to be willing to let go of a little control and be okay that sometimes the students in the room are going to know more about video editing than the teacher does. Yes. And you have to be okay with that.
2: Yeah. Sometimes
0: that's hard, but you know, you practice it, baby steps and the engagement. I mean, you've said it too, you see, the kids are so engaged mm-hmm. in the process and learning so many things that it's worth it all. If we can just get people to be like, okay, I can let this go for this one time. And if you have like management systems in place in your class, there's always ways to reel them back. Oh I'm yeah. Like it's going to be like anarchy. Yeah. Um- <laughs> I don't know, sometimes it is in my room.
1: (laughs) No, I think that's a really good point though, that movie making itself by nature is an iterative process, both for Mm -hmm. us as the, you know, certificated educator in the room and always refining how we're going to use projects and lesson frames. And then for the kids too, just like, you know, how much more effectively can you tell this next story than you told your first story? So what I love most about what, like, you know, listening to you talk about the direction you're going to go with your kiddos is that you're not stopping. Like you have plans. You have a whole little itinerary of stops on the storytelling trade. And that's amazing.
2: I think that too, like mentioning the fact that, hey, you're giving these students a voice and not, not just your ones who are always like me, me, I know the answer, I know the answer. You're giving everybody that choice. Like I have a student in my classroom who struggles, struggles with English? Like he is level one, ELD, like he's super, super low in his um, English abilities. And, but it doesn't matter because he's able to voice what he wants to say, and the class understands and they get it because they see the visuals and they see the little blurps of words. But his voice is coming out, and like, oh, uh, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about I get it. I'm getting goosebumps. You know, because, like, I mean, it's genuine and it's real and it's, you know, ah, like that moment, I think, as an educator is just so special. Like, why wouldn't
0: you want to do that <laughs> for your kids, you know? Ex- exactly. To have those authentic moments with mm-hmm. with your students. Yeah, it is. Work. it is worth all of the work and the struggle and the losing control. And I mean, I know that's why Jessica and I do it for those things. And we both have had students that, you know, don't say a word in class and then create these magical things. And, you know, you first see it for the first time, you're like, I had no idea all that was going on in your head. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, I think
1: for me, like I totally was that silent kid in school who wanted to be like absolutely invisible. And so knowing that, you know, mindset and just how you feel about yourself sometimes when that's the version of you, you put out there in the classroom. I think that you know if I had had a, a modality to express myself and be heard, I would have been so appreciative of that because nobody really wants to be invisible, right? It's just kind yeah. of how you end up. So mm-hmm. I totally, totally love this conversation, and I love what you're doing in your room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's super exciting. So we um said we would ask like, do you have any questions for Jessica and I now that you're kind of like in the process that um we might be able to answer or guide you, direct you in the right direction?
2: Yeah. So I was wondering about making the voices public, like putting it out there because like last, last week, perfect example, my kids were talking about doing TikTok and I've, in the past I had a fifth grade super Fifth grade TikTok kind of uh, page that I did, and so I would actually. That that was one way that I was able to get in contact with students during COVID was I would make TikTok videos of like, hey, don't forget to do da 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 da, <laughs> you know, and hit, you know, and then just share my handle with all the kids. But so going forward, like I really want to make start making the videos more public. Um but like how, what is that process? Because I know there's certain things that we can and can't do as far as putting our kids out there for the public view, the public eye and like on YouTube. So like Jessica, when you put stuff, when you put your students' videos out there, do you make them public? Do you make them private? Do you, is it like a mixture of both? Like, what do you guys do?
1: Well, in terms of sharing work, that students have created. I know every district has their own policy and it just kind of happens that our district has the opt out policy. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the year, because all of the families are given paperwork where they can opt their student out of you know, pictures or videos or anything, that kind of covers our electronic posting of student work. Um, So I think a YouTube channel is probably the safest bet just because um, that's, you know, sanctioned by our district and that's part of our district package for Google Apps for Education. Mm. Um, But that said, like, you can totally share on social media links to student videos that you're posting. Um, I think probably an intelligent choice is not giving
0: too much information
1: away in the videos, <laughs> like
0: so, first name. Yeah. yeah. Last yeah. initial or no last name. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was going to yeah. say like, some of the examples that I've, that I saw the, um, it was just like their first name and that was it. So mm-hmm. that would be perfect. Okay. Yeah. Some of my
1: stuff that I post has a last name attached, but students signed additional waivers for that because their work was competitively, you know, viewed through, film festivals or in public forums so their families had to sign off on that but as a rule of thumb yeah no last names no specific locations just kind of you know generalized geographic information
0: cool and and it may be worth it you know if you want to post things um, more publicly, too, even though we do do the opt out, if you just want to cover yourself, you know, a letter to parents say, You know, we're doing this movie making, we're wanting to post and make public, please, you know, I if you really don't want your students' work posted, let me know. and you know, I'll keep it private. Yeah. Kind of thing. Just, you know, we're always trying to make sure everyone's happy and we're not getting sued or HR is calling for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> not because of the TV test, but because, hey, you're being sued.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh god.
1: No, but there is a really cool legacy effect with having like a public channel like mm-hmm. that where class after class after after class can kind of add to it. Um, Because I find a lot of kids who are in my room, like the first week of school, like they've already watched the channel. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun. They know it's coming and they're excited.
0: And I, when I was at, at my other school and doing that news program, kids, you know, the first year it was hard, but by like the third year, the kids would come to class and they had watched all the episodes. So they like knew the format and they were super excited and it, it made my job a little bit easier too. So it kind of gives that buzz and excitement and, um, then kids are, it's a lot easier to get them on board in there. So yeah, there's a lot of good reasons to make it public. Oh, I love that too, because then
2: you're becoming more of that facilitator of learning mm-hmm. versus, you know, you're, you're just dumping all the information like right. the sage oh, on the stage. Yeah. yeah. God, I love that. That's, that is my goal in life
0: <laughs> to become a facilitator, but, you know, oh my gosh. Well, you're on your way and it takes, yeah. you know, and it takes, kind of like baby steps in the beginning. Cause you know, we had that whole group of educators come through that were trained with that model of direct instruction, always in the front. That's all you did. Well, you yeah. know, it's shifting back to like the old days when I started, you know, 1492, um, where <laughs> we, you know, we were facilitators because it's, it's just so much more impactful to be in the middle with your sleeves rolled up with your kids helping facilitate rather than, you know, you, like you said, just like vomiting garbage at them that, you know, they're not getting like 90% of because they're yep. not engaged with it. Yeah. So Georgia, one
1: other thing that I heard Caitlin say was, um, wondering about math. So did you want to kind of touch on how you've used storytelling with math?
0: So I, you know, cause I know we're always in a time crunch for math. But um, the years that I was teaching math predominantly, I would get bored with the final assessments always just being a test. I mean, you know, there is a place for that, but sometimes I wanted to see them sim- synthesize their their knowledge into another format, and they were a lot more excited. So I've done the I Am Poems with Math, where, you know, take a concept for example, like I am fractions, you know, what a good way to see if they really understand what fractions are is yeah. to do something like that. And if you've already done the I am poem, say for science, they, they kind of get the gist of it mm-hmm. and then you can move it to doing something with math. I know Jessica and I have also done um, <clears throat> haikus with math around a concept with math, like doing, you know, like a vocabulary chart or thinking map, circle map with all the words for the unit. And then have them make a quick haiku of that topic just oh. as something different. So, you know, if you think of it kind of through that lens, because so many times I think in math, even if we're doing a lot of conceptualizing and group work and all this stuff, it still is like on this train. We're sticking with the train metaphor that <laughs> is like the same thing. And mm-hmm. I sometimes think that the video can be a disruptor and help kids even synthesize even more. Um, Rather than just like a paper pencil test, Um, I feel
1: like you totally need to like patent that idea of video production as a disruptor. I
0: love that. Okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna get t-shirts. That'll be our new thing. Video disruption. Cause in my head, I just see it as like uh, being a visual person, you know, taking, like pulling the carpet out from under the table really, because we do get in these curricular things where we're just like, okay, I'm just gone. I'm following the pace. I'm doing this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I know Caitlin, you probably feel the same way. Uh, we get bored easily. We as adults, you and I, and I know Jessica is probably in the same boat. So I want to disrupt because that's going to bring kids back attention back. It's like, oh, we're thinking of a different way. This is really interesting. And I'm sure that goes with some of your brain science research, Jessica, too, of connections with having some disruption.
2: Oh, 100%.
1: And I think that, you know, once they have those basic video production skills under their belts. Um, you know with like the routines of using those lesson frames again and again, the cognitive load can be pretty hefty in terms of what they're synthesizing and how they're expressing mastery because, you know, they have the the format down. It's something that's familiar to them. So I really I really think that you know movie making lends itself well to repeated attempts at learning. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I think it's time for our five and sixty. So this Yay! Is, this is the point where we ask five rapid fire questions and we do our best to do it in 60 seconds. Um, and you answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. So it's not trivia, it's just what comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. This could be scary, I don't know. We can always edit out, <laughs> Caitlin. Okay. <laughs> but I love I love that it could go anywhere. Alright, yes. Ready? Yep. What is your go-to drink or activity after a long day in the classroom?
2: Mmm, a dark beer.
1: What is the last thing you thought to yourself today as the kids were leaving your classroom?
2: I need a nap.
0: (laughs) Especially after Halloween. For sure, day after Halloween. Yeah, this is a hard week. Okay, next one, because I know a little bit about you, but how many animals are there at and around your house? Like, ballpark number.
2: Uh, 50? Oh. Maybe more? Yep. Is that because of little chickens? No, actually because of our pond. Oh, okay. Cool.
1: Yeah. We have a zoo. What, <laughs> what is the funniest thing a kid or teacher has sent to you so far this year?
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. Ugh. Yeah, there's so many. Um, ooh, okay. It isn't this year, but uh, one of my teacher friends used to call her special friends, the muffin heads. And that was our clue of <laughs> that child's being a muffin head.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Okay, last one. What is the funniest thing about having twins?
2: Oh my gosh. Um uh not having a moment to sit and do nothing
0: <laughs> it, it's it's a love-hate relationship there I just, <laughs> I, i'm sure because your twins are two three How old they're are going to be two in december okay so you do have your hands full yeah Katelyn, but they have a wonderful helper <laughs> oh no i'm sure yes yeah, because you couldn't do all the things without your wonderful helper no. <laughs> All right, that was great. I'm sure. How long did we go, Jessica? Were we even? Uh, that was that was about a minute and forty five seconds. But okay. I'm going to call it a win because it's our
1: first
0: time doing that in season four.
1: We'll get better.
0: Well, <laughs> so. We're always striving to get better. Yeah. someday it'll be in sixty seconds. But it's because you had good things to say, So Yeah. All right. So here's our last thing. Let me get my cards. Hold on. Okay, this part terrifies me even after three seasons. I am terrible at this game. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm thinking about it like, oh God, am I going to do this right? <laughs> All right, so going, I am going, I had told Caitlin before you came because she came on a little earlier. So he, these are the cards I pulled, Jessica. I so okay. can give you a minute to think. So it's a historical recreation gone awry. <laughs> and. A mascot for a professional sports team. Caitlin. Yeah. We're going to do the end. Oh, okay. Wrapping it all up. Okay. Jessica, you're going to do the beginning. And I'm going to do the middle. So once again, historical recreation gone awry. And we have a minute. So it's about 20 seconds Mm -hmm. per person. And a mascot for a professional sports team. I
1: think I'm ready. I'm going to go ahead and hit the timer.
0: Okay. And
1: time starts now. Lark Hornbuckle was so excited because he got to go to a renaissance fair today. He woke up with his alarm clock and he just immediately popped open his eyes and was like, yes, today is the day that I get to don all of my
0: very best
1: costume gear. I'm
0: so excited. So Lark went to the Renaissance Fair and he was hoping to get in the sword fighting competition and he was getting ready. He had his sword ready to go and he looked up and his competitor on the other side of the ring was the Philly Fanatic with a plastic sword. The Lark knew that he was
2: going to be successful and he jumped into the ring and he slashed, 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 slashed. But his sword fell apart and so the mascot won. The end. The end. <laughs> Yay!
1: One <laughs> minute and one second.
0: I that think is, that is a win. It, that is, I think, our best time ever. That <laughs> should be duly noted. <laughs>
1: yeah usually we ramble on for another 20 30 seconds just trying to make it connect somehow
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) that connected really well though yay
1: i I think it's the first time we had a renaissance fair yay i think it is i think it is yay (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness well thank you so much caitlin for joining us for today's episode of storytelling saves the world our show notes can be found on our website, StorytellingSavesTheWorld.com. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and or SoundCloud and give us a review.
0: And if you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's StorytellingSavesTheWorld.com. Until next time, what's your story?